today on Ag News Daily. From an ocean freight logistical situation, it's almost like going back to the early 1800s before we had the Panama Canal or before we had the Suez. Uh, vessels are now having to take the long way around. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast, Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Are you excited for today, Delaney? Should I be? That feels like a trick question. <laughs> it's a good day, right? It's uh, We woke up, we're on the right side of the dirt. Mm-hmm. We uh, cer- certainly have uh, the rights for it to be a good day. Okay, well that was somewhat morbid here to start our morning off. <laughs> Oh, I know you've heard that saying before. Well, uh, let's jump right into what the weather looks like today. We still have more of those dry conditions in the southern parts of the United States, but it is expanding. That extreme dry weather is expected for much of Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, where hard red winter wheat is overwintering. Winds in the Texas panhandle could be sustained 20 to 30 miles per hour with gusts of up to 45 miles per hour. And yesterday, that relative humidity was below 10%. Today in this region is going to be dropping as low as 5%. This creates that red flag warning. Southwestern Colorado and Eastern New Mexico are also going to be in that wind advisory. Their relative humidity will be below 10%. That does create rapid rates of fire growth if there are fires to be ignited. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Here in the Midwest, at least in the state of Iowa, we've got uh, the opportunity for a slight chance of rain over parts of the state today, only 20 to 30%, looking for a high of 64 degrees with just a slight breeze here. So nothing too much to talk about today, Delaney. Well, in addition to the continued dry weather conditions that you mentioned in Kansas and the Plains that'll happen this week. We also are watching weather in South America right now as that certainly has impacted the markets in the overnights here. As we look at weather conditions in Argentina and Brazil, favorable precipitation in Argentina was near expectations earlier this week and should impact several growing states in Argentina, including Cordoba, La Pampa, Santa Fe, and Santa Fe. Uh, Rains in the southern and western areas later this week will also improve moisture conditions, and that has negatively impacted our markets here as we reacted to the downside. The weather outlook for Brazil is a bit more mixed. Rainfall was near expectations over the weekend and will return to more normal growing areas throughout Saturday of this week. Dry weather, however, will move into the west central growing area of South America And as we look at wrapping up soybean harvest, Brazil's soybean harvest was 32% complete as of late last week. That's up 23% from the week prior, Tanner. So they are chugging right along there with their harvest season down in Brazil. That's what it sounds like. We could see some progressions move forward with alternative green energy coming out of ethanol plants. Green methanol could be an alternative to the carbon dioxide pipeline. A company wants to help ethanol producers harness their carbon dioxide emissions to produce the additional renewable fuel sources. As long as the technology determined is viable, this could become an alternative to the proposed carbon dioxide pipelines. CAP CO2 Solutions 
is nearing completion of its first green methanol project at an ethanol plant in Illinois. And the company hopes to have a successful launch there this summer and then start up with a Iowa plant. They think this is a far more attractive solution for ethanol plants trying to ship their carbon dioxide somewhere else. The carbon dioxide emissions of ethanol plants are relatively pure, which makes them economically attractive for candidates of carbon capture. Ethanol plants in Iowa, 42 different refineries are already capturing their emissions and selling it for gas for commercial purposes. In meantime, CAP CO2 estimates that its methanol modules pre-built shipping containers with the equipment to create that carbon dioxide into methanol have the potential to reduce the carbon scores to a similar amount of that pipeline. So as we talked about sustainable aviation fuel Delaney, this could be another opportunity for those ethanol plants to lower their carbon score and make it a much more viable option. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But it does look like this project is mobile and could ramp up rapidly if tests continue to go well. We also got some movement here on year-round E15 yesterday, Tanner, as the Biden administration has given an indication that they have year-round E15 in their front mirror, if you will. But not so good news here when you think about the timeline of it. The Biden administration came out this week to say year-round E15 is going to be approved, however, not until 2025 after the presidential election. Right now, this is all hearsay. Uh, The White House hasn't officially made a comment about timeline yet, according to Reuters. But this decision will likely be better sweet for the biofuel industry who wanted to expand that year-round E15 sales earlier in the year. The one-year delay could put off any potential localized price spikes and supply issues that the oil industry says could arise from the decision until after the U.S. election. Under this plan, the administration would, however, grant a request from the governors of most of the Corn Belt states that want to have still year-round E15, including Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin, will still get to have year-round E15. But for the rest of the country, it's not looking like that's going to happen until 2025. The other piece of news here, Tanner, that was a little bit of a kick in the pants for the biofuels industry was that Reuters reported this yesterday that the White House will also adjust the scientific modeling for ethanol to show that it is less effective for reducing greenhouse gas emissions than previously estimated. That would make it more difficult for ethanol producers to take part in different tax credit programs and feedstock for the sustainable aviation fuel market. They said there's still a path toward the credits, but only if corn growers agree to much stricter sustainable farming practices. This is, of course, coming at the same time while we're seeing European farmers protesting environmental practices that are impacting farmers over there. So a little bit of a mixed bag there for ethanol. And you bet that ethanol groups have voiced concern over this delayed timeline, Tanner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if U.S. farmers follow that of the protests in the European Union. We're going to get <clears throat> we're going to get more details on that coming towards the end of the week. But farmers are pro- protesting across the European Union, saying that they are facing rising costs, taxes, red tape, 
Excessive environmental rules and competition from cheap food imports demonstrations have begun taking place for weeks in countries like France, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, Poland, Spain, Italy, and Greece. Many of these issues are country-specific, but this is a European-wide strike, so we'll get some more details on that as well. Delaney got news of a couple of Farm for Profit listeners that were in Spain that decided to make their trip end a little bit sooner than they had expected, just to make sure they were out of harm's way in case something got violent. But we did get a new herbicide registered for the use in soybeans, as well as cotton and canola. Amvac Chemical Corporation, an American Vanguard company, announced its Zalo herbicide was in uh, receiving its federal registration. The herbicide is approved for early to mid post-emergence use on trait-enabled soybean, cotton, and canola fields. In addition, the label will include some palm and stone fruit crops, which is quite interesting. Zalo will be available in the spring of 2024 following state registration. They're very excited to bring Zalo to the market because of its significant advantages as well as market opportunity, Delaney. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, but two quick headlines to share there. Well, Tanner, in some other headlines here this morning, retail fertilizer prices are for the first time in several months showing higher than normal prices. We saw for the third week of February 2024, prices for five of the eight major fertilizer markets were higher compared to last month, while prices for the remaining three fertilizers were lower. For the fourth straight week, however, no fertilizers saw a significant price move, which is more than 5% or more. Seems the fertilizer market here is really trying to find its footing tanner as we head into planting season. And fertilizers that were higher in price included DAP or DAP anhydrous, UAN 28, UAN 32, and I believe that was it. So a little bit of a mixed bag there for the fertilizer outlook. Encourage folks to uh, talk to their local retailers if they're still in need of some different fertilizer prices. You might want to wait and figure out where this thing ends up. Yeah, it'll be certainly an interesting market. I think I saw on X yesterday. A good discussion about where break-evens are hitting and what people are seeing. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But with the goal of improving access to timely agronomic insights for the 2024 season, IntelliAir has announced that its AGMRI product is now integrated with Case New Holland equipment using its operating platform. The This includes Case IH brands with the AFS Connect platform and New Holland brands with the MyPLM Connect platform. The announcement means that there is a streamlined use for experienced farmers that can lead to more data-driven decision-making and will connect farmers to their ag retailers. This includes easy-to-export field boundary data, as applied data, as well as yield data. So they will continue to analyze nine yield limiting factors. They will continue to monitor the key ones such as emergence, weed pressure, crop health, and variable dry down. So a big advancement there. Dan Danford, the Precision Technology Partner Manager for CNH, said by establishing this connection with important partners like IntelliAir, they will aim to drive the interoperability between various systems and services that the customers can use to maximize the data in their field. And none time 
or, and there is no other time than now that is best suit to do this because of squeezed margins in crops. So a nice announcement there for some data opportunities for our producers, listeners to use. I saw that headline as well. So I think I just have one final headline here to share with our listeners, and that's looking at tractor sales. As we take a look at January 2024, sales for four-wheel drive tractors showed slight gains compared to January of 2023. But overall tractor sales are down compared to this time in 2023, according to the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. According to Kurt Blades, the senior vice president of AEM, he said the slight gain in U.S. four-wheel drive tractors is positive news as we kick the 2024 season off. And while overall sales fell in both the U.S. and Canada compared to January of 2023, they remain optimistic about future long-term growth. Nice. Well, that's good. I've just got Russia-Ukraine headlines. Three people were killed and at least 18 wounded by Russian shelling in several Ukrainian regions overnight. The Ukrainian Air Force said that it downed another 13 attack drones. Russian troops are expected to continue their advance to the eastern town of Avatka. After Ukraine's withdrawal from that area, the White House has blamed the loss of the town on Republicans in Congress as pressure grows for the U.S. to act and provide more funding. The U.S. will Friday unveil a sanctions package against Russia. It's intended to hold President Putin accountable for the war and the death of many people. Eleven Ukrainian children were reunited with their families after being repatriated from Russia. Ukraine has long said that there are thousands more of children that have been forcibly sent under Russian control since Moscow's invasion. So they'll continue to work towards that as well. But that's what I've got for headlines today. Well, I think the only other headline we have here to take a look at, Tanner, is the overnights. And as I mentioned, Southern America weather has certainly taken a little bit of a toll on the overnights here this this morning. March corn down two and a half cents at 416 and a quarter. March soybeans down seven cents on the board at 1172. Chicago March wheat down two and three quarter cents at 558 and a quarter. March hard red winter wheat down a penny and three quarters cents at 548. And March spring wheat down four and a quarter cent at 661 and a quarter. As we take a look at livestock here, they will open this morning at a buck 8732 and a half in April live cattle. 251.37 and a half on the March Peter Cattle contract and in the April lean hog contract on the board this morning will open at 85.67 and a half. For today's conversation, we're talking about logistics, geopolitical trade, and all of the different market dynamics we're seeing right now play out for our world's shippers. So we're going to turn over to a conversation with Jay O'Neill now. Well, as we continue to unpack some of the logistics, transportation, and shipping industries that have been unfolding here over the last few years due to larger geopolitical events, we're chatting today with Jay O'Neill, the proprietor of H.J. O'Neill Commodity Consulting. Jay, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, You're very welcome. My pleasure. So, Jay, curious to learn more about your background and how that led you into a consulting role, talking about commodities and logistics and I'm sure a myriad of other topics. Yeah, I spent about 32 years uh, as a grain trader and uh, managed trading groups in the grain industry for different various companies across the United States, working mostly internationally. Uh, After 32 years of uh, trading grain, 
I joined Kansas State University in the IGP, the International Grains Program, and I was on faculty at K-State for 12 years. And then after I retired from that position, I uh, continued with my consulting under H.J. O'Neill Commodity Consulting, which I've actually conducted for about uh, 18, uh, about 18 years. So I'm sure given your background at Kansas State in particular, you know, talking to others in the grain space in other countries, you have a very unique perspective. I'm curious to learn, you know, as some of these more recent geopolitical events have unfolded, such as Russia, Ukraine, the Hamas-Israel conflict, and even uh, China and Taiwan, what have some of your other international contacts been focused on as related to just these current situations and how they're going to impact our supply chain? Well, you know, what, right now what we have is a terribly unique situation, as you just mentioned, with all those uh, conflicts and interruptions that are taking place. And uh, it's very unusual and challenging now that we have the Houthi, uh, the Houthi and the Red Sea and the problems with the Suez Canal, uh, at the same time that we have problems uh, with low water and restrictions at the Panama Canal. Uh, while at the same time, as you mentioned, there are also issues with um, uh, China and with other pressure points around the world. So what's happening is from an ocean freight logistical situation, it's almost like going back to the early 1800s before we had the Panama Canal or before we had the Suez. Uh, vessels are now having to take the long way around and go um, all the way around uh, South America. Uh, or all the way around the Cape of Good Hope in South America to get from origin to destination. Uh, it's doable. And in fact, ships are doing it right now uh, pretty well, all things considered. But it does take a lot more time uh, and it does stretch out logistical uh, supply chains. And as we dig into, you know, some of those supply chain issues, it, we, of course, had probably some of the most extenuating circumstances during COVID. Do you feel like we recovered from that before we saw some of these latest supply chain challenges that have rolled out here as of late? Yeah, it's a yes and no quick answer. Uh, yes, we largely have recovered from COVID. Uh, we, the Western world, that means the United States, Europe, etc., uh, China, economically is still struggling, of course, to recover, and they have not come back to post-COVID uh, economic conditions. So the Chinese economy is still sputtering quite a bit, and the world, uh, particularly the shipping world and vessel owners, are really, really waiting for uh, China to pick up their demand for raw materials that, that hasn't come to fruition yet. But when you look at the United States and Europe, largely we're back uh, and everything was running fairly smoothly and freight rates were rather inexpensive relative to um, what they had been in COVID years until this problem happened with the Panama Canal and until the problem happened in the Red Sea, which of course has caused uh, serious problems. Uh, rates have gone back up uh, because of the disruptions. And, and, you know, if we're going from the U.S. Gulf to Japan or China or in any Asian country, we've now stretched that logistical chain out from what normally would have been 38 days transit time from the U.S. Gulf to Asia to 52 days via the Suez or more likely now 56 day transit time from the Cape of Good Hope going the long, long way around. 
so we're still shipping to China from both the West Coast and from the Gulf. Uh, West Coast is busy because that route's not impeded by the Panama Canal, but from the Gulf, uh, those exports are, are taking uh, another um, roughly two weeks in, in time. Uh, so anyway, again, I think uh, economically, uh, U.S. and Europe are largely, from a consumer perspective, back to normal conditions. Uh, we're just trying to now wait for and see what happens with China. Yeah, what what do your political contacts, your intuition, tell you about what that situation is going to unfold with China? Do you see them come going away from the table completely with the United States, depending on how the situation unfolds? Well, you know, we have uh, we have uh, other things that, that are about to happen or potentially happen. And that is we have uh, in November uh, 2024 here, we have a national election in the United States. And we don't know at this point which party will win that election and Republican or Democrat. And it will make a big difference as far as U.S. foreign policy is concerned, uh, especially towards China uh, at the moment. Uh, I think relations with China from an economic perspective are rather good. They're fluid. They're moving. Uh, there are some changes. There's some significant changes, though, in supply chain because of Chinese cost of production. We do see now Mexico uh, being one of the major suppliers of consumer goods to the United States uh, and taking the number one spot away from China, which would have been back in uh, COVID and pre-COVID days. Uh, so that's regardless, that's uh, separate from economic or po political, I should say, conditions. Uh, that's that's just pure economics. It's now cheaper to manufacture in Mexico than it is to manufacture some products in China. Uh, but anyway, come the new election, will we enter into a new trade war, a, a new war of tariffs with China? Uh, I don't know because I can't predict who's going to win the election or exactly what will happen. But it's certainly, um, uh, I guess we should say a danger because if we should enter into another tariff war with China, um, it's not good. Uh, last one we had, <laughs> the last time that happened, uh, U.S. farmers were were damaged, prices plummeted uh, because of that, and U.S. consumer prices went up. So personally, I hope we don't see that happen again, but who knows? Uh, we, I think we all wish you could predict the future, Jay, and tell us you know, what was going to happen out of this 2024 presidential election, because I think that would help a lot of the dice fall into place. But as we look at today's current situation, you know, you mentioned some of the logistics and shipping concerns related to the Suez Canal. Bring our listeners up to speed about where that situation sits today. Well, you know, we've got the two situations. Both are equally serious. One is the Panama Canal and the low water situation that is largely preventing grain ships from uh, going back and forth through the Panama Canal. Keep your fingers crossed, and we hope that when the rainy season returns to Panama, which will be May-June, uh, we hope that they get uh, those reservoirs get recharged and water levels increased. So we, we would like to think, I would like to think, and I'm sure a lot of other people, that Panama potentially is a temporary situation that might get resolved as we get into June, July, uh, Mother Nature, weather permitting down there. 
the Suez is much more complicated uh, because it's a question of um, what's going to happen with the, the Israelis in Gaza war, which is stimulating a lot of this uh, terrorist activity throughout the Red Sea. Uh, when will that abate? When will there be some kind of ceasefire and um, more or less peaceful resolution? It's not going to be this month or next month. It's going to take a while. And how long before the Houthi and other groups give up um, and stop disrupting uh, the flow of goods through the Red Sea? Boy, that's that's a it's a big, complicated mess. Uh, it's one I don't see getting to a resolution in the near term, near term being the next couple of months. I'd like to think that uh, given a little more time, something can happen to uh, help the uh, help the flow, the peace and the flow of cargo and uh, commerce through the Red Sea. But boy, that's a political mess, <laughs> uh, you know, political terrorist, uh, otherwise mess. And it's not at all easy to resolve, as you know, and most of listeners, um, Yemen is a sovereign country, so you can't and the Houthi control 50% of, of that country, but not 100%. So you can't just go in and necessarily put troops on the ground in a sovereign country without declaring war. Uh, and in the interim, you, you just have to do what you can to fight the terrorists there w without, so to speak, putting boots on the ground. Makes it pretty difficult. Yeah, no doubt. And and so when you think about maybe bringing that back down to the farmer level, you know, we talk about obviously the impact that this has on things like sh shipping and logistics, both from a sending goods overseas, but also getting goods into our shores that we need with fertilizer and other inputs. When we look at that supply chain challenge right now, and just considering grain exports and things to that nature, where does that put us economically here in 2024? Well, in, 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 in very simple terms, uh, the good news is that trade is still being conducted. Trade is still flowing. So we don't have a stoppage uh, at all of goods coming or going into the United States from Asia, from the, from the Middle East, from other areas. Trade is flowing pretty, um, pretty darn well, actually. It's just taking more time. And that has to be taken into consideration in people's supply chain. Uh, and it's costing more. So con container rates are up. Dry bulk rates are starting to show some strength. Uh, so I think the bottom line is you can still get whatever you want. You can still get in or out whatever you need to do. But it's going to take a more time, at least for a while, and it's going to cost a little more. Fantastic. Well, Jay, that is all the time we have for today, but appreciate your expertise and insight sharing that with our listeners today. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, listeners, thanks again for hanging out with us today on a Wednesday. We've got two more shows coming for you this week, and I will tell you right now, you won't want to miss the conversation on Friday to get an update on what these strikes look like in the European Union. So don't go too far, right, Delaney? That's right, Tanner, but... I suppose they can go away for now as long as they come back tomorrow for another Agnes Daily episode. But with that, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go. <laughs>